Welcome to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Friends, fentanyl is plaguing America. It has infected all illicit drugs, from cocaine to meth, counterfeit pills, and even marijuana. If you're around someone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. If you need a prescription for naloxone, you should have one, no questions asked. That is why I'm offering a free prescription to anyone who needs one. Come visit me on hightruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. And if you like the show, do me a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. Your stars are very much appreciated and go a long way in supporting the program. Today's episode is sponsored by Families Against Fentanyl. FAF is an organization set on breaking the status quo of failed solutions and to get to the core of the supply chain of deadly fentanyl. Learn more about FAF by visiting familiesagainstfentanyl.org and sign their petition to declare illegal fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction. Hello again, High Truth listeners. Get ready for a nocebo conversation on fentanyl. I'm your host, Dr. Roni Lev. Nocebo? That sounds like placebo, and that's because they're cousins. Placebo is a sugar pill that makes you feel better. A placebo is an inert substance, and when given has a psychological effect of making you feel good. Placebos are used in drug studies. Scientists ask, did the drug being tested work better or the same than a placebo? Nocebo, the mean cousin of placebo, is a sugar pill that makes you feel bad, an inert substance that makes you feel sick. My daughter once did a study several years ago before the pandemic of COVID on does the news make you sick? She gave a survey of symptoms to one group of people at work and compared the survey to a similar group of people at work after telling them about a made-up news story of an outbreak of flu-like illness. The group that heard about the news story, the fake news story, reported feeling much sicker than the group that did not receive the news. That's this nocebo effect. The news, a sugar pill, made people feel sick. We have seen videos of law enforcement officers overdosing on fentanyl and being rescued with naloxone. The officers had a real reaction. Receiving naloxone was absolutely the right thing to do. Give naloxone first, ask questions later. However, is what happened to the police officers an overdose or a nocebo reaction? The medical community has doubts any of the law enforcement reactions are real overdoses, and that's causing some tension. The doctors and scientists say dermal contact of fentanyl is not lethal, and casual touching of a baggie of fentanyl, even opening up the baggie, should not be lethal. The law enforcement community disagrees. They are taught one pill can kill, and that's true. One pill can kill if you smoke it or snort it or eat it, but not if you touch it. Sadly, to date, no law enforcement officer who may have overdosed received a drug test to confirm 
or disprove the diagnosis. Law enforcement officers who had an overdose-like reaction should be considered patients. They have the right to know their real diagnosis, not just assumptions. They should be offered testing. And with that, let's hear our question of the day. Hello, Dr. Love. This is Jennifer Pucci. I'm a nurse practitioner in the emergency department and trauma center. Thank you for all your work to raise awareness on the current opioid crisis. It seems that there are a lot of myths floating around on how deadly fentanyl can be among law enforcement. We regularly see news stories of officers who allegedly overdose by touching a dollar bill or opening a small bag of drugs in the wind. Yet, we as healthcare providers know it is not that easy to overdose from such an exposure, and the reactions experienced by the officers are not typical of an overdose type reaction. What education is being shared with law enforcement to help them get the right information? Thank you, Jennifer. I love working with you in the emergency department. You readily picked up on doing things such as trigger point injections, dental blocks, and alternatives to opioids for pain, and you excel at treating patients who have an addiction. And now as you move on to being a nurse practitioner for the trauma service, you'll be leading them in teaching them improved methods of treating addiction and better resources. Our community will be better with your care and inspiration. To answer your question and discuss the educational aspects of law enforcement, I invited a special guest, Sai Oikata. Sai is a paramedic and expert in disaster preparedness in Florida and the National Disaster System. She works on educating law enforcement in response to chemical exposures, including fentanyl. To learn more about Sai Oikata, check out the High Truth show notes. Sai Oikata, welcome to High Truths. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you. You have an interesting background. You're trained as a paramedic, 911 rescue, CPR, um, and now you're doing law enforcement education. That's an interesting path. And tell us about yourself. Uh, so I am a paramedic by trade. I started my paramedic career in New England uh, for a private ambulance company. I started as an EMT, worked my way up to a paramedic. I was a dispatcher in between. So I did the tiered approach up there. Um, and I worked as a street medic and EMT up there. It's it's very different than the rest of the country, specifically in Florida. It's uh, EMS is very much EMS oriented, fire is very fire oriented, and law enforcement is very law enforcement oriented. So you have everyone in their silos. Uh, when it comes to coordination, they're great when it comes to that as well. So just because they're in their own silos doesn't mean they know how to play together very well. They do that very well. Um, so that's where I got my street medicine. I got exposed to an array of scenarios in New England. It was a fantastic experience. Um, but then it got really cold. <laughs> it got very, very cold in New England. And I wanted to pursue an education in emergency management. So I moved back down to Florida, which is originally where I'm from. And I attended the University of Central Florida where I got my undergrad in emergency management uh, with a minor in terrorism studies. And now I'm going for my master's also back at University of Central Florida, also in emergency management because it is such a vast career and vast industry that I don't think an undergrad is enough to really understand it. So I'm going back to pick at that. Um, but as far as where I'm landing now, it's my first official emergency management career. And it is with the, the East Central Florida Regional Planning Council, which is a very interesting organization to have emergency management. Kind of how all of this uh, law enforcement training came to be. Uh, my boss and I, Michelle Chikowski, she's the director of emergency preparedness. She was a former law enforcement for the city of Orlando. Uh, we do everything that is disaster preparedness and public safety preparedness in the region, which covers eight counties. 
anything that has an emergency preparedness component in it, specifically if it's hazmat orient or oriented, we can play a role in that. So anything to strengthen the public safety sector. So back when I reached out to you. And tell us of that, like, how did we even get connected? We connected, I, I put a LinkedIn post with, with a meeting, right? There's a, something called the State Emergency Response Commission where every state has one of these, right? It's, it's, it's a, a perfect blend of the public sector and the private sector coming together to really talk about issues within the state, primarily hazmat related again, and what is, what's gonna be done about those issues. Uh, so every state has one. Florida is very, very active. The president or the chair of the State Emergency Response Commission is actually the uh, director of the Florida Division of Emergency Management, so Kevin Guthrie. So there's a very big pull as far as discussions and actions taken by this commission. So under that circ is what we call it, fall local emergency planning committees or LEPCs, which is built into my full-time job at the Regional Planning Council. So there's a lot of moving parts here. <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, so in this meeting, we had a member of the board bring up an issue with law enforcement exposed fentanyl and how it's becoming a very, very big issue. And one of the bold moves that I completely commend him for is he asked the CERC to acknowledge fentanyl as a hazardous chemical, which was a very big move. The CERC, there was a resounding acceptance and agreement to, to move this, this motion forward. And so it passed unanimously, no, no problems. So the passing of acknowledging it as a chemical or hazardous chemical, or hazardous substance, is that it opens doors for an array of things, funding, training. It, it makes it an official discussion within a group of individuals that can actually do something about it, right? So in doing something about it, ironically enough, the uh, director knew that my boss, Michelle Chakowsky, had somewhat of an existing program that dealt with law enforcement, that dealt with fentanyl, which is the same program that we're gonna talk about in its early stages pre-COVID. So he directed her and said, hey, you know, you have something, build upon it, come back and bring it to us in the next meeting. So <laughs> her being the great boss she is, but she's a great boss, delegated it down to me with my uh, EMS experience. So that's when I started doing research. So I contacted someone that was on LinkedIn. That person directed me to two other people that that went to a forum, a discussion forum in Boston. They said, contact this doctor in San Diego. And that's exactly how I ended up with you. It was just a fourth degree connection. Ta-da. And here we are. Here we are. So, so you gave some pretty, pretty good information. Yeah. So, and, and then the whole um, concept. So people are listening to the show thinking, high truths and drugs and addiction. Why is this lady talking about hazmat? What does that have to do with anything? But it does with fentanyl, right? So what's the connection? So it, it is it is a chemical, right? I mean, it's it wasn't originally, right? It was it comes, it's a plant, correct? It comes from it comes, it's an organic substance, correct? And then it just makes its way to it's a synthetic, we, it's a synthetic chemical. Correct. It's, it's, it's now become something very synthetic. So it it has gone through the evolution of making it a legitimate hazardous chemical. So it should be acknowledged as a hazardous substance in this case. Uh, that's where we are now, you know, from its original stages to where it's at now is completely different. So we, we've we've kind of tied in the hazmat component to that. That's great. So let's talk about, you know, what do we know about 
chemical um, fentanyl, um, and and why is it a hazmat issue? Um, it does affect the public in the same way. When you think of hazmat, you think you know chemical weapons, you know insecticides, right? What what are some are things that are typical hazmat drugs? Uh, you have anything. Um, we can talk about hydrogen sulfide. We can talk about organophosphate, sodium nitrite, um, things that we deal with on a daily basis that that because of how they're used, they're considered a, a chemical and a hazardous substance. And fentanyl right. is by no means an, an exception to that rule. It's something that we're exposed to every day, whether it's in medicinal form or in recreational form. Um, and now it's being used so much in the recreational form that that it is becoming a threat. It's posing a threat to individuals, right. public safety, to everyone, really. And not just recreation. It's it's illicit. If people are being um, poisoned, tricked to using it, right? Not everybody. There are some people who are actively seeking fentanyl, but some people who are not. And 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 I, I feel like they even murdered because it's, that's not what they intended to buy or use in the first place. Um I just saw an interesting report on the potency um, of fentanyl. I don't know if you you saw that. The DEA is reporting fentanyl um, profiling report. They have a fentanyl profiling program report. And this past year, the, the purity of the fentanyl is 14.4%. And the years before that, it was much less. It's gone up from 0.1% to up to even 75% in some areas. So it's becoming even more of an issue. Correct. And 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 that, that ties into what you were saying about illicit use. You know, it's it's because it's becoming more potent and it's being used in an illicit form. Okay. Now we're we're really increasing the the risk involved in, in exposure here. So right. we actually included some statistical data in, in our program. It's primarily from the National Institute of Health where uh, opiate related overdoses are they started out in 1999 as far as the data, as far as it back as it goes less than 20,000 going up to as high as 65,000 now in 2020. So we're seeing an increase overall with this use. That's right. And with fentanyl, there's other contaminants in there, right? Like xylazines or fluorfentanyl or tramadol or even, you know, there's other secondary substances in, in those chemicals. Correct. Yeah. Which again, increases the, the risk involved. So let's talk about your expertise, which is what a program that you were asked to lead about education for law enforcement, right? Correct. So this program, um, it's now called Hidden Dangers. Uh, originally, it was called Chemical Suicides. It was a program, or it is a program, originally created by Rick Stilp or Richard Stilp. He's former Orlando fire chief, nurse. He's now the hazmat professional, essentially, for the state of Florida. Everyone that, that knows hazmat knows Rick Stilp. Uh, fortunately enough, he falls under our region. He's a great, great partner of ours. So he created this program because he saw that there was there was a need to expand on hazmat-related incidents um, and developing trends. Again, fentanyl will fall under that as well. So it wasn't just chemical suicides that he was focusing on that was pre-COVID. Post-COVID, when he decided to resuscitate this program, and after we brought it to the State Emergency Response Commission, he tweaked it to include current trends, developing trends. So we added sodium nitrate overdoses. Uh, we enhanced the fentanyl part of it. We added lithium ion batteries. So it's called hidden dangers because as first responders, and that includes an array of 
professionals. So you have law enforcement, EMS, fire, and we included hospital first receivers, so primarily emergency department staff. This program is for them and it includes anything because you don't know what's gonna come through the door and you don't know what's gonna be when you show up on scene. So it's, it's a hidden danger. And law enforcement is particularly vulnerable to this because they, they don't understand what EMS, fire and hospital first receivers do. They don't have the medical or the material knowledge to cover that just as we wouldn't know much about their profession so well. So this program was created for all four of those agencies to come together, understand the basis of what are what these hidden dangers are. Um, and one of the hard topics that, that we talk about is the um, the fentanyl. Fentanyl. Okay. So what what do we need to know about fentanyl? For example, there was a video that I think I shared with you and you already saw it about an officer from Tavers County, Florida. Um, that she overdosed or fainted or had some type of reaction. I watched the video. and I actually didn't think she overdosed. I thought she had a vasovagal syncope or it's kind of my doorway diagnosis. And um, I don't know if she ever got tested to find out really what happened to her. Um, but I'm sure people who watch this saying, okay, here we go, another officer down from fentanyl. What do you do with that? So that's 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 more fuel for our fire, right? Because it is so heavily, um, I guess, absorbed by the media. It's it's showing up everywhere. Um, you have the video from Tiberi's. We have the officer in San Diego as well. Um, it's it's a very popular topic that the media loves to talk about. So it's fuel to our fire for this program. What this program would do to tackle an issue like that is to bridge that gap of the lack of material knowledge that we were talking about, right? That it's Knowledge is power in this case. If law enforcement is aware of routes of absorption and uh, chemical exposure, proper PPE, things that deal with things that aren't in their usual day-to-day activities, right? So what a firefighter would do when they go on scene is different than what a law enforcement officer would do when they go on scene. So putting all these individuals in a room and then teaching them the blanket and then selective detail of these hidden dangers will, one, help them learn from each other because they can talk to each other. It's one thing if I sit here and I present them and I teach to them in PowerPoint, death by PowerPoint and whatnot, you could only absorb so much. But when you put the individuals, when you put a law enforcement officer in the same room as a fire medic who's in the same room as an ER physician with an ER nurse, and everyone's learning the same material knowledge and they learn from each other and their own experiences, it really helps them understand the topic. So in the events of all these all these media crazes about fentanyl exposure and law enforcement, I think teaching them what they really need to know, routes of absorption, PPE, mechanism of action for um, any kind of overdose, primarily fentanyl in this case, understanding how it works, it will really reduce what we're seeing on the news. I really like that idea of getting everybody together for the same, um, you know, end goal and learning from each other. Um, I, I put together a team to review the incident in San Diego, the San Diego officer. We had the people who responded, both fire and police, and spoke with the team taking care of the person in the hospital and then reviewed the video. And it was very interesting to me that law enforcement reviews 
the video in a very different lens than than doctors and um, toxicologists. They'll see, look, 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 he touched it. It's a windy day. Uh, he wasn't wearing his mask. And then they'll see that seat. That's why he overdosed. And we're seeing it's really hot. And he's wearing a lot of anything. And this is first time on the job. And the person watching over him says, be careful, be careful, be careful. And that's why I hate that stuff. And now it's like, boom, you're on the ground. Okay, <laughs> That's a right. Very different lens uh, of seeing that. And um and even after all that analysis, every single doctor who watched that video felt like that was not an overdose. And even the hearing what happened in the hospital, he's like seething and moving around. People don't do that in an overdose. They don't, that's not the reaction. Even with all that data, there were law enforcement who said that was an over that still was an overdose. And sadly, the poor guy's in the middle, right? The poor officer is in the middle. Uh and um, and they should have been tested, right? I mean that, and that's kind of what I'm advocating. If something happens to you on the job, I don't care what it is, you should have the right to 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 know your diagnosis and and figure out what it is that you are exposed to. Correct. And and if that if that is something that is implemented, which I, I strongly agree should should happen, testing follow up because that way we can start collecting data. I think is the most important thing because to, to support programs like this and whatnot, we need data, right? We, we based all of our research off of data um, is to specify what you want in that panel because your standard panel won't include X, Y, Z unless you specifically ask for it. So um, I completely agree. I think that's something that should be put forward specifically for, for statistical data because until then, it's just going to be. I, I don't think it's just statistical data. You can say that all these officers didn't have fentanyl or they did have fentanyl. And if they did have fentanyl, then we report that in the medical literature for the medical community to learn about. And um, maybe Florida, and you could initiate this, maybe Florida wants to pass the same law we did in California about including fentanyl whenever a drug test is ordered. So we have that now as law in all of California. Correct. See, that's that's actually what I'm talking about is is you have to ask for it specifically. It won't yeah. include it in the panel. Um, so you're something that that, you know, hopefully we can trend in the right direction because otherwise it goes back to hearsay. Correct. It's, it's right. It is or it's not. So did you guys in Florida look at that case and video and get the different input? Did you get the same type of reactions as we did in San Diego? Because it was in our own backyard, and I'm sure you can relate because you had a similar situation in San Diego, it was, we have a lot of mixed input um, from various members of the community. You have one department or one agency saying one thing, other professionals saying another. So I, you know, we're not necessarily on the same page. Uh, professionally, I, I've run enough overdoses, um, heroin overdoses, fentanyl overdoses as a medic that I know what your classic symptoms are. Um, but again, it's putting all those people in the same room so that we can all get on the same page and learning from each other so that we know what is and what isn't. Right. I was hoping to do a guidance for these incidences where if that happens, that person will get tested, at least for the law enforcement to, to know to know that. Um, and and then lawyers got involved, right? And it's like, well, they don't want to show that they're positive for marijuana or something else and whatever. It's like, okay. They get money. Um, all right. So the education, what do you, what are you teaching in your program? What about PPE? 
So that's actually the 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 really the selling point in the fentanyl portion of it, or actually most, because because you don't know what you're dealing with, right? Exactly. So so PPE is huge. Obviously, there's different levels of PPE for whatever substance you're you're dealing with, um, or hidden danger that you're dealing with. You wouldn't go into a lithium ion emergency or or an organophosphate emergency the same way you would um, a fentanyl one. There are certain similarities, but you also have to get the subject matter experts for X, Y, and Z involved until you know what it is, correct? Um, that's where our specialized hazmat teams come in. And uh, hazmat teams are really buried in different departments. I think in Massachusetts, they're buried in police. And down here in Florida, they're buried in fire. So it's, it really varies. So what we're teaching is um, knowledge-based material. So we teach the chemical suicide aspect of it. So half the program is about that. What What does that mean, chemical suicide? It's unfortunately a trend of suicides dealing with chemicals. So sodium nitrite's a big one. Um, a lot of people are ingesting large amounts of sodium nitrite. What What is that? Tell, explain to us, what is sodium nitrite? Sodium nitrite's actually a, an inorganic salt compound. It's used for various purposes. It's used in refrigerants. It's used in uh, curing meats is what people know it most for. It will give the cured meats that pink texture, pink color that we all know. Um, so it's... Uh, it's an oxidizer, essentially. So, can you buy it freely on Amazon? Or correct, it's it's an unregulated substance at the moment. It's mm-hmm. a very very big issue because it is so unregulated. We find it in everyday chemicals. We can have it in small doses, but as far as large doses, you can go on Amazon or eBay and buy pounds of this thing for, you know, under fifty bucks. So it's a very big issue, uh, and when consumed, it can oxidize internally. It'll cause hemoglobinemia, which is ultimately internal suffocation to, to summarize that. Um, and it will be a very uh, irreversible death if not attacked appropriately. So people are getting a hold of this through various media platforms and it's becoming a trend. So suicide by chemical is a very good thing. And, and you mean suicide like they, uh, people, I haven't run into this. People want to die and take an overdose of sodium nitrate? Correct. And it's um it's it's known as kind of like a, based on the platforms from what we've read. It's a very upcoming trend. I'm actually going to hopefully be releasing a paper on it within the next two months. Um, it's like a silent killer, essentially, because you take it and it's painless because you take it and you, other than the nausea and the projectile vomit, if you can get past that, you're out fairly quickly. Um, and unless attacked appropriately, which the, the cure for this would be, or the anti, um, the combatant for this would be met, um, methylene blue. Sounds almost like cyanide poisoning. Very similar. So different drug, different approach. It's it's a, it's a trend. And cyanide poisoning is another one. I mean, that's absolutely used as a as a suicide. Or even if you think back to the Jonestown, maybe Jonestown is. Yeah. Uh, the Kool Aid. Don't drink the Kool Aid. Correct. I mean that that wasn't necessarily a suicide. Or it could be, depending on how you really think about it. It's been used. Uh, in various ways. So chemicals is for a form of suicide is is a concerning trend. So we try and teach that because we don't want our law enforcement, our our fire, our EMS personnel, and especially our hospital personnel, where we go to ultimately take these people to be exposed to secondary contaminants from this, correct? So half of the program is specifically dealing with chemical suicides and exposure. And then we go into in-depth about each individual one on the second part of it, uh, where we talk about PPE, uh, decontamination procedures, and how we all have to work together to pre- uh, prevent cross-contamination. Right. So PPE, and you know, that's always universal precautions. That's taught in medicine. I'm sure it's taught in 
um, in law enforcement, it's just a good idea to have masks and gloves on when you're dealing with anything because you don't know what it is. Right. But the issue is, okay, you're dealing, this was a fentanyl, you didn't have your mask on, you're not going to, you're not going to die. Right. So that, that goes into the routes of absorption. So which as medically trained professionals, we know what that is, right? You have your intranasal, intramuscular, transdermal, we can go a list on, and we know what routes of absorption are. We know what carriers are for, for the transdermal and whatnot, but law enforcement doesn't understand that necessarily, which is why putting them in the same room is very important because I can talk to them about them till their face is blue, till I'm blue, but hearing it from each other is important. So um, PPE is huge. One of the, one of the big things is uh, that causes these accidental exposures that we talk about is a lack of PPE, um, PPE failure. So rib gloves, dislocator, dislodge masks and cross-contamination. Um, but then you go into the routes of absorption, right? Just, just because your mask became a little dislodged or your, your, your glove ripped and you were handling something and you managed to touch, you know, a little bit of what may be fentanyl doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to overdose because you have to understand the routes of absorption, right? Just because you touch something doesn't necessarily mean it's going to immediately go into your bloodstream. Right. And I think what was helpful in, I think, education, law, educating law enforcement on our end is just, just like you say, is when you talk to each other, look at the nurses, right? I'm touching a bottle of fentanyl with my bare hands, pre-COVID, my bare hands. And, um, nothing, I'm not worried about it, right? Also, look at the the field of where you're going to you are seeing all these people who are using drugs dealing drugs they don't have a mask they don't have gloves on they're not dropping dead when they hold these baggies and exchange it with each other they're dropping dead when they're snorting it or injecting it or smoking it um not by touching the baggies that baggie probably touched i don't know you tell me 100 people before that law enforcement got to it right and there wasn't a hundred people dropping dead on you know before it got seized. Correct. So it, it it all ties back to the same thing: the the lack of material knowledge, and that's because they're not trained on this. They don't know this. You know, they yeah. went to learn about you know their profession, not so much ours. But unfortunately, they're getting pulled into our world, right? The 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 EMS world, the fire world, the the pre-hospital world, essentially. Um, yes. and, and they're becoming exposed to this now. So it is an issue because it's new to them. Yes. So I think by teaching each other, we can kind of help combat this issue. And it works both ways as well. You know, I work in a hospital setting as well as one of my part-time things to keep my brain fresh. Um, and I see it on the, on that end as well. I see a lot of hospital providers that don't understand the pre-hospital setting or the law enforcement setting as well. You know, they, they throw their complaints about, oh, well, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do this? Or fire and EMS comes in with a contaminated patient and being the, the rugged individuals that they are, sometimes they're not wearing PPE and they bring a patient in and then you see a nurse completely gown up and whatnot. So it works kind of in a in, a, in an interesting way. You, yeah. you have the-, the People freak out on both ends, huh? Exactly. And it's <laughs> nice seeing both of those ends. So I like that I can help attack or at least mediate somewhere in that yeah. process. That's fascinating. I have seen some uh, what I would call freaked out reactions in the news where uh, somebody found some fentanyl in the hospital and they evacuated the hospital, called in hazmat, no patients coming to this emergency department because there was fentanyl. It's like, really? Exactly. So you see the hysteria on both ends when really the solution is, again, knowledge is power, just understanding it a little bit. And this program's not long. 
it's four hours and that includes lecture and uh, a practical. So we do the, what I call death by PowerPoint, but the instructors that teach it are fantastic. They're all very experienced. Um, they come from, you know, brand new into the field to, I've been in the field for 30 years. Um, so we have an array of, of individuals that teach that and I love it. And then we have the practical portion where the scenario really can vary based on the instructor or whoever it is that requests the program. So whether they want on fentanyl um, and opiates or, the, or, or they wanna talk about lithium ion batteries, we can tweak the scenario. So for the fentanyl, we actually use fingerprint dust and black light and we create a scenario where you see the, the transmission even when it's airborne so they can start to visualize what it is that we're talking about and routes of absorption, we can kind of add a visual aspect to a non-visual, uh, a person that doesn't really learn in the death by PowerPoint, right? Right. Oh, fascinating. And is this just for law enforcement officers in Orlando, on state of Cal Florida? Are you going to take the yep. show on the road? The, I mean, it would be great if this show goes on the road. I, I, I think the, the main thing that we're trying to attack is standardization. There's so many programs out there about fentanyl, about anything, any one of these topics that we're talking about, because we're talking about a bunch of topics. Mm -hmm. So it would be great to go out and standardize this across the board. So the uh, Rick Stilp, going back to the, the fantastic man, he has a company, Emergency Management Systems. Fortunately, again, we have him in our backyard. He created this program specifically for us. However, he does independently push this out as well. It's his program. He's just allowed us to contribute, amend, and whatnot. We have that, that wonderful relationship. So it is available to anyone that wants it. Um, it would be as simple as either contacting us or contacting him, and we don't mind sharing the wealth. It, it's definitely the information that needs to get out there. Cool. Can, well, tell me um, how to do that contact, and I'll make sure that it's in the show notes here. Absolutely. So they can contact our uh, local emergency planning committee office, which is myself and my boss, Michelle Chikowski. Uh, you can contact us on our website, which is ecfrpc.org or East Central Florida Regional Planning Council.org. Under the emergency management tab, there'll be her information, my information. We can contact Rick directly or Rick is <laughs> Rick is very uh he's a he's a man of his ways. He's very pen and paper, pencil and paper. So email is not really the best way. We can just find a way to contact them and then put them in contact with whoever it is that um that wants this program. But we will absolutely act as a media. You have a website? Correct. Yes, ecfrpc.org. All right, we'll put we'll put that in the in the show notes. Um, you mentioned uh, you know all these different chemical suicides. One is lithium batteries, and I'm thinking mm, I got that in you know in all sorts of things that I use. I use that. Uh, I'm thinking uh, speculums I use in the hospital. Or, how is that um, a chemical suicide? How is how is that such a big hazmat deal? And it's I'm sure I have. You know, people throw them in the trash when you're not supposed to, or but why is it such a big deal? I, I was guilty at one point in my life of throwing a battery in the trash. Now, absolutely, my conscience will kill me if I ever do that. Okay. But this this program is, uh, it has a structure, right? So there is, there is a, a goal we want to accomplish, an objective at the end of this, and that's sharing knowledge. However, it is an ever-evolving program to keep up with the developing trends of what puts our public safety personnel at risk. And right now, one of the hot topics, aside from sodium nitride and fentanyl, is lithium ion fire. So everything that we deal with, our cell phones, if you have an electric vehicle, 
um, has lithium ion in it and it has been known to self-combust. It's very, uh, depending on how it's stored, it's very sensitive to the environment. So in really hot temperatures, obviously it's going to expand and explode. And it's not as simple as putting water on to attack. It, it will burn no matter what. So as a hidden danger, if you're a law enforcement professional or even a firefighter that's showing up to a scene involving a lithium ion fire, you know, your, your typical person that thinks, oh, fire, let me grab a fire extinguisher, get close to this and try and, you know, extinguish it. That's not the case. You can try it. On the contrary, it'll have a secondary explosion. So you're putting yourself at risk for not just shrapnel related injuries, but very, very severe burns. So it's not necessarily a suicide, but it's a very big danger for our public safety personnel. It's it's danger for those fighting fire. Is it danger for anyone else? It's a danger for anyone that has any kind of lithium ion substance or uh, anything that has lithium ion. So a cell phone, if you're talking on your cell phone, it could very well, the battery could expand and you could have um, injuries from that explosion. But that doesn't really happen. People are not putting their phone to their heads and exploding. <laughs> and right? First of all, not many people put their phones to their head anymore. Everyone kind of talks on speaker that's, nowadays. That's right. Um, but yeah, no, actually it does happen. There are, there are stories of people putting their phones under their pillows before they go to sleep and they explode. Um, a lot of those uh, scooters or skateboards that now are battery powered, uh, hoverboards, whatever they're called, um, those are combusting in people's houses. The electric bikes, New York is a very, very big topic. You know, you're talking 30 story building and each one of those units very well could have an electric bike because in New York, people move around with that. So think of the large structure fire that you're causing by having a bike in each one of these units. So everyone's really at risk. And the least thing we want to do is, is not share the wealth or the knowledge about what we know about this. I've seen that happening with vape pens. Definitely, I've treated patients whose vape pen exploded in their leg, um, you know, and I'm, I'm taking care of those burns. Um, but I don't think that the public is so afraid of their lithium batteries. Otherwise, they wouldn't be all over the place, like you said, right? That's because it's such a useful tool. You know, it's it's about how you see it. Is it more useful than a risk? We all have cell phones. We all need cell phones. But how many phones do we all really need? Do we really need to have our phone, our computer, our iPad, everything else with yes, us? Yes, I do. <laughs> My goodness, if I could go back to a flip phone or if I can go rotary, that would be even better. Um, but it is because it's useful. People kind of tend to ignore the idea that this could very well hurt me until right. it does. Interesting. All this about lithium batteries and yet fentanyl. We have an airplane a day of people falling down, dying and uh, needs to get at least as much attention as the lithium batteries. Right. It's 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 the world we live in. And, and all we can do is try and educate. So I'm really excited happy to hear that lithium batteries which have and uh, sodium nitrates and things that people don't really think of as you know such a danger um, but you have experts public safety preparedness disaster experts who know about these hazmat and these chemicals really well and the fact that fentanyl now is in that conversation and engaging in that expertise i just love that i the analogy, and I don't know if you agree, is I, I always say that I'm jealous of infectious diseases because we have such a system to deal with COVID and flu and influenza, and, and and we don't do that to overdoses. And if we could get the same people who manage infectious disease to have the same kind of methodology 
for overdoses, we'd be better off. And so now if we have the same people dealing with the lithium ions and the other chemical hazbats or gynophosphates dealing with fentanyl, I think we'll be better off. And that's your expertise in public safety preparedness, right? What is public safety preparedness? It is literally anything that involves the the three agencies involved for public safety. And now we've been, we really included fourth because we, we're including the hospital in there. The hospital plays a very big part, the emergency department, because that's where most people end up. So it's, it's preparing fire, EMS, um, and police, and now the hospital ED setting, for anything and everything disaster related. So we live in a world where disasters are happening at every level around every corner. It could be a very small thing like, you know, I I say small, but just one person getting shot to a tornado, a hurricane, an earthquake. It's a very big scale. So preparing our public safety department in anything that involves disasters is, is our expertise. So my goal is to be almost like the mediator. Fortunately, I'm also, you know, an EMS personnel and my, my partner is a law enforcement, former law enforcement. Between both of us, we can get the right people involved, the subject matter experts, and create something for either one subject or a bunch of subjects kind of tossed in together, which is almost this program. So overdose clusters, bunch of people overdosing on fentanyl. Is that a disaster preparedness? A hundred percent, especially if it's considered a, a mass casualty, right? When when the number of patients is more than the number of responders, so anything considered a mass casualty at that point, you have to think about how we're going to attack that. If we don't have enough people responding to people down, it becomes a very, very scary situation. Also, if you run out of antidote in this case, so we're talking Narcan, you have a very big situation. You really have to choose and triage appropriately. Um, and it's scary both for the general public, the patients involved, and the public safety personnel that are going through and having to pick ultimately who lives and dies in these situations. And this is not theory, like my cell phone exploding in my head. <laughs> this actually <laughs> this actually happened uh, several years ago at UC David, a, a, um, a receiving center for traumas all over an uh, area of California, got a bunch of overdoses. Um, they ran out of ventilators. They had to go on hospital bypass, not accepting uh, patients from around the county ran out of uh, Narcan and they had a disaster. And when they wanted to call a disaster, there wasn't a methodology for um, for calling a disaster. If it was some other thing, right? If it was COVID and we ran out of ventilators, we would have a way to do that. But if it was fentanyl and we ran out of ventilators, um, well, we didn't have a system of getting resources to that community and respond as well. Correct. That, that's where the emergency management part of it comes in. And that's why I'm very, very happy with where I am now and the role that I play, because I have both my boss and I, I don't say I, but my boss and I both have the emergency management and Rick Stilp, the creator of this program, the emergency management background and the public safety background. So these are two different lenses that you're looking at problems. So in that event, yes, we know how to attack it on a on an incident kind of base, on an incident level. We know what to do on scene how it would happen, but an emergency management scope is a lot bigger. So you have to think if you're in that situation, how can you help the hospital? Do you contact other hospitals? Do you start agreements? Do you bring in other uh, public safety agencies to come in and provide services until we can find a more permanent solution? Um, It's two different lenses that I I don't think many people have the expertise to look through. Um, And combining all of our professions and all of our expertise and all of our views from both of those lenses is what creates 
and helps fill these gaps that we're seeing. I think you'd be really interested in the project that um, we started while I was at the ha uh, while I was at the White House uh, together with Dr. Um, Dwayne Caniva, who was uh, head of Department of Homeland Security, was a chief medical officer, and I and the National Security Council and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, all these alphabet soup federal names. But we all got together to create a standard to react to overdoses, just like a standard was made to react to active shooter. Right. So with the active shooters, which I'm sure that you're really familiar with, there's a national standard, a voluntary standard of reacting to that. And we wanted to do the same thing for overdoses. And then COVID hit and administrations changed and it never happened. But I think that you're, what you're doing is very similar to that. We call the project Credo, Community Response to Drug Overdoses. That's actually how I ended up finding out about you. That's, ah, how, that's how we got it connected. It was a person that referenced this and I ended up at Credo and I found you on Credo. That's that's the connection. I was missing the name of it, but you just you just reminded me. Yeah. So you're doing Credo Orlando, Florida. So that'll be that's really cool. I, I'm glad we're at least following some kind of model. Um, emergency management is about structure. However, every scenario is different. But if you follow that algorithm and then tweak it or add your your injects, your interventions for whatever it is that you're dealing with, whether it's an active shooter, whether it's a mass casualty involving fentanyl overdoses, you still follow the same set structure algorithm. I mean, we're very familiar with that in medicine, correct? We have, we have our algorithms and we tweak them based on what we're dealing with. So with um, the principles of public safety preparedness, you say it's preparedness, response, mitigation, recovery, and we have that for a tornado and an earthquake. Do we have that for fentanyl? No, unfortunately, I feel like fentanyl is something that we're dealing with as as it. Now happens. I'm going to have to say that I'm jealous of COVID and tornadoes. <laughs> I can add more to that list if you want. Trust me, I have a list I can pull out. <laughs> but uh, this is one of those things that that we're just taking it as it comes, and and we're I'm hoping that we're we're going by the I'm hoping it either stops or goes away, um, and. I think this is one of the very few things that's starting to attack. I think with the State Emergency Response Commission uh, accepting it, and we 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 got approved to really out on a state level. Uh, we're looking for a bunch of different uh, resources and places to roll it out, but it's going to get traction. It's it's something that at least in this corner of the country is going to get some momentum, and it's up to us and how we push it out that it's going to continue to go. Um. You, you got to do it. It's so, it's so, so, so important. We're losing more people to fentanyl than tornadoes or earthquakes or the Vietnam War uh, and the number one killer in um, ages 18 to 45 more than anything else, more than COVID, um, more children, uh, babies killed. And I really believe fentanyl is a weapon of mass destruction, a, a chemical that kills a lot of people. We don't need to wait for some Russians to come and throw fentanyl in a drone area. We're already living that today every single day. So um, I don't know how um, you, view, you view it, but we really want to declare fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction in order to empower you and your team to do more, to get more resources and start um, treating fentanyl like tornadoes. I agree. <laughs> it's, it's, it's giving it the proper acknowledgement, which I'm glad we did, at least on a state level. I, I commend the individual that said, hey, I want you to acknowledge fentanyl as a hazardous substance. 
And again, that just opens the door for so much. So doing it on that level that you're talking about, web mass disruption would be amazing. That'll be very cool. So um, yeah, any advice to Jennifer Pucci? Jennifer is a nurse practitioner working um, in the emergency department and trauma unit. And she posed a question that frames uh, this episode about what educational aspects do law enforcement need to know about fentanyl? Take the proper PPE and take the time to learn from others. So just expanding your mind and learning that just because something is bad for you doesn't mean it's necessarily like kill you. We're talking about the nocebo, correct, right? Just just because it's going to hurt you, it's, it's going to hurt you. That's not the case. Take the minute to learn from the subject matter experts. It's as simple as a conversation and you'd be surprised what you can get in that conversation. So learn from each other in that, in, in that event. That's great. Um, now I'm inspired to get more EMS people in our Credo task force that we have in San Diego. Um, I want to say thank you to Jennifer Pucci for your great question and kind nursing care in the emergency department and trauma patients and interacting with law enforcement. And thank you, Sai Oikata, for being our expert today, educating law enforcement on the real and not real dangers of fentanyl and chemical exposures. I want to give a very sincere thank you to the men and women in law enforcement who risk their lives to keep us safe. Thank you. And my blessing for you is to may you never need to be a patient in the emergency department. And uh, thank you so much, Sai. No, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsor. A sincere and warm thank you to FAF, Families Against Fentanyl. Visit familiesagainstfentanyl.org and sign the petition to declare illegal fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction. Make drug dealers think twice and three times before peddling killer drugs. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Ronit Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths. 